Hi there, Misfits. I'm Kate. And I'm Kale. Welcome to Horrorwood. episode today. I'm so excited. I am horrified. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be so good. The world has been begging for this. They've been waiting for a kale episode. I will say this, I did have a friend um reach out to me and she was like, "I'm not really sure which voice is yours." And I said, "Well, I'm like the annoying voice like whatever. Your voice and, is not annoying. Oh my God. <laughs> but everybody thinks that right about their own voice. And, sure. um, she was like, no, really, I, I can't tell. It's kind of like a little mystery that I'm trying to figure out. And I was like, oh, that's a compliment that's to funny. me. So I don't it. feel like we sound anything uh, uh, alike. No. Agreed. Amazing. <laughs> like um, you have a very professional voice and my voice is quavering. I do not. Quivering? Quavering. I don't, I, I, I made things up. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into it though, I, so I was putting the photos together, uh, the other day for the Maryland posts, because just to be clear, so as we're recording this, we actually just posted our first episode. And in fact, we just got approved for Apple this morning, um, which is very exciting. Sounds sweet. But but the the reason being is because we kind of had to record a few to get going so that we would have things to submit to all the different podcasting platforms. And we've also been taking turns being out of town. So the schedule right now is a little weird. And so that's what's going on. We are going to get on a more consistent schedule pretty soon. Uh, but that's why it's a little a little wonky right now. So when I was getting the photos together for Marilyn, I came across a little tidbit that I didn't know. So the Frederick March piano that her mom had given oh, her and yes. that she later bought. So that, of course, went into um, her estate that went to Lee Strasberg. And when he died, all those things went up for auction. Guess who bought that piano? Olivia Newton-John? No, but that would have been a wicked tie-in. Right. Um, <laughs> Mariah Carey. Oh, okay. Yeah, she bought it for like over $660,000 back in 1999. It would have taken me about 60 guesses for that and a lot of clues, but I probably would eventually get it. Yeah, I mean, I would not have landed on Mariah from the get, but she said that she was going to donate it to a museum. I don't know that she's actually done that. It seems like maybe she just held on to that. But anyway, I thought that was really interesting that uh, Mariah Carey bought it. That's wild. Good for her. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm excited. We are talking about the Knickerbocker Hotel today. So this should be kind of like a, a fun, light, fun episode. Indeed we are. And first of all, I would like to um, maybe review some of the haunted hotels that are out there. They're all haunted. 
they're all haunted. Many people have written about them. Anytime I'm in a hotel and I look down the hall, I'm like, are there twins? Yep, there are. Yeah, there's a ton. Um, there's some in Hawaii. There's some in Kentucky. Do you know of any in Kentucky? Um, is the seal block yes. haunted? Yes, it is. Okay, I, I thought it probably Two was. Two lovers and an untimely death. Um, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, but there's, I mean, they're they're everywhere. So that was really interesting for me because when, first of all, I was just telling Kate that I know nothing about Hollywood. That's what I've, that's what I've realized. <laughs> Which is why you're the perfect co-host for this. <laughs> and so um, we have kind of this spreadsheet that, you know, has a bunch of listings of like future episodes and kind of what we want to do. And I've really not added on to that at all, but there's like at least a hundred episodes on there. <laughs> and um at least half or more. Well, I'll be generous with my own self and say 75%. I'm like, uh, yeah, what, what happened with this one? Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and so I've never heard of the Knickerbocker, but come to find out this was going to be my palate cleanser, but let me start with this. So come to find out there are several hotels named the Knickerbocker. There's one in Australia mm-hmm. and like Minneapolis, and there's one in, um, Louisiana, I believe. And it's even haunted. So, there's one in New York. They're all haunted. I, I know that is going to be the running theme, I think, throughout this episode. I think but... we're going to do a series Ooh, of should. like haunted Hollywood hotels or like ho- or any haunted hotels associated so, with yes. like celebrity or anything because there are quite a few. Because oddly or ironically or coincidentally or all three, um, there's one in, in New York. And when I was researching stuff, it kept coming up. And so at one point mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is such good. Like these are great details and this is such good. Um, I just was excited, right? Um, yeah, the whole thing was about New York. So <laughs> I was like, scratch that. I just wasted, you know, 45 minutes, but it was very interesting. Okay, you just reminded me um, when I was, okay, senior year at Milliken, I... It was like the last week or last two weeks of school, and I was so checked out and because I was getting ready to graduate. Like, who, right. uh, who cares yeah. at that point? But in one of my classes, they gave us an assignment where we had to compare cost of living between coasts. And so, like, a group of us had New York. The other group had California. And we had to do all this research on it and all this shit about, you know, like, where – you know, cost of living and housing and, and all this stuff. Um, I sure did a lot of research on the wrong coast and I didn't even realize it until I got up with my group and they start talking about California. And I was like, California. And I just sat in silence the entire time because I was like, I could tell you a lot about New York, but I have no knowledge right now of what I could say about California. Anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> um, the, the cool thing about this episode is that it does tie in to um, our debut episode and okay. none other than our sweet Monroe. Um, so we'll mm-hmm. hear a little tidbit about that later, but let's address the Casper in the room. Do you Ooh. believe in ghosts, Kate? Like that's really important right now. I need to know kind of like a fulfillment of what you think about ghosts and paranormal activity before 
we get started. I definitely believe in paranormal activity. I do believe in spirits and energies. And uh, so, yeah, I guess I would say I do believe in ghosts. Okay. That's that's good to know because... Um, do you believe in ghosts? I am a skeptic at worst, I guess. Okay. Um, but I sure. used to be a skeptic at best. I used to like really not believe and I was kind of like, okay, it's all hokey and, and whatnot. And I'm like, eh, until you know, things happen eventually, right? In mm -hmm. your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And um, you might get a like little spook there and a little spook here. And then um, I went to a medium and that kind of changed yes. my perspective on many things because- I've always wanted to go to a medium. She was, she was fabulous. And, you know, I was like, I don't know if I was 40 yet, but I went and it really did kind of- um, I guess, expand some things for me, which probably helped yeah. in having more of a, a spiritual development, right? And so now I I do think that there are things out there that are not in our control. And, mm -hmm. you know, of course, I watch shows that make me think that too, right? And all shows to me, it's like, it's like everything's haunted. All shows to me are related. I was, I'm rewatching Game of Thrones and I was like, Oh my gosh, I was like, this reminds me of Stranger Things. Oh, which then reminds me of Voldemort from Harry Potter, which then reminds me of Lord of the Rings. So like everything's just yeah. intertwined. And and I can only think that's because of reincarnation. Okay. So that's where I am with it. Do and you believe in reincarnation? I don't think I believe in reincarnation. I don't. Um, yeah, of clearly I'm a dog. <laughs> I don't know if Rough. that's something to brag about. Oh. oh. <laughs> Maybe not, but Okay. I was excited to share that with everyone. Um, anyway. I mean, if you, if you want to be a dog, be a dog, I guess. I'm not going to stop you. Okay. All right. Well, here we are. <laughs> We're just going to We're going to get right on past that with the Knickerbocker Hotel. The right. Knickerbocker. I really okay. like the way you say it. But I certainly think I believe in spirits. Okay. And I've even, I'm going to tell everybody this now, have had an eerie moment in Kate's place, if you remember this. Wait. Oddly enough. Was this the last time you were here? Yes. And oddly enough, it was like a Stranger Things coincidence, which I just finished that um, season four. Um, mm -hmm. But it was the flicker of the light. Wait. Was I in the room? Yeah. The flicker of the... I don't okay, even remember so this. So, like, you have a sconce. I can't say that. Is that how you say oh, it? Sconce? Sconce. 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 Yeah, sconce. sconce. Um, in, like, your living room area. And mm -hmm. what's weird is we were talking about it. Like, this activity that you've had in, in your apartment, in your place. And I saw a flicker of the lights. And I thought I had addressed it right then. I thought I had been like, oh, my gosh. But maybe it was just in my mind and I didn't really share it with you. I Didn't we talk about I this? I don't remember no. this. Oh, my no. God. Now I'm worried that I dreamed about it and I'm bringing it up and now I'm embarrassed. But no, it really did happen because you were talking about you and Matt and like you've had some like a little weird activity in, in your place. You remember talking to me about that? Oh, well, yeah. There was the, the ghost that turned on that candle. Yes. So <laughs> you were telling me this and the light flickered 
Now that was a it was a light, not not the candle. There was a light in your okay. that was on. Oh, you know what? I kind of do remember you mentioning that now, and it freaked me and out. You were like, "What was that?" Yes, yeah, yes. Okay, but anyway, okay. So I always imagine because there are so many of these Tinseltown topics that each detail of old and new Hollywood will have these tell-all novels, and they'll be so fantastically good that more books, essays, and deep dives will follow. However. To much of my Mm -hmm. surprise, I found less about what I thought I would see out there and more on people retelling these stories through blogs, website descriptions. And there was one book from a bellhop named Earl the Pearl Watson, who will come up just a little bit later in this episode. I love um, his name, Earl the Pearl. Yeah. Um, But we're just going to do a deep dive into the narrative recounts that are out there. Okay. Some of these um, websites I went on, they're really cool. And then it made me kind of want to go. I was like, oh. Wait, I want to know more about this or whatever. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. All right. So let's remember through this that these stories of hauntings are most of which anecdotes from people's experiences at the hotel. So we have to trust in them that these spooky occurrences are genuine, right? Okay. And we've kind of already um, discussed like our own viewpoints. Ghosts are real. Fasten your knickers. Oh. Things are about to get bockers. My knickers are fastened. (laughs) I'm ready. Okay. The Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel is located at 1714 Ivor. Ivar? You're from Holland. You were living in LA. Is it Ivor? Ivor. Ivor. Ivor? Ivor? Ivor. Avenue? Okay. And none other than La La Land, Los Angeles, California. Though it is historic for its luxurious decorative aesthetics and high profile guests, its start was meant to be apartments and its end is, well, you guessed it. Apartments. The building was designed okay. by architect E.M. Frazier in 1923, but completed construction in 1929. However, it okay. did not open as the security apartments it was built as, and instead it was designated into a new venture renamed Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel, which opened June 1929. As buildings would go, it matches some of Hollywood archetypal styles of Spanish colonial. Yes, archetypal. I, I, okay, as buildings would go, it matches some of Hollywood archetypal. God, I can't say it still. You got it. You got it. All right. Styles of Spanish colonial revival stylistic movements. In the 1920s, Hollywood became caught up to the fashion and fame of New York, New York, and kicked off its boisterous blossoming into a swanky metropolis full of high rises and posh hotels. Oh. By July of 1929, the Knickerbocker and its adjacent nightclub, the Lido Room, might be Lido, began its coveted union and its swift reputation of adoration by Hollywood elites. Inside the hotel were carefully selected features, such as the famous ornate chandelier made of crystal, and in its day in the 1920s cost a mere 120 k but now could cost over more than one million dollars. Damn. Right? I just want one crystal at this point. Jeez. (laughs) Outside the hotel, tourists could walk past and just feel the beats of this hotel being at the heart of Hollywood, especially with its famous celebrity intakes and tales. In the decade that followed, the neighborhood was surrounded by the hotel's popularity. As it continued to grow, there was always something going on in the hotel. Actors, film producers, and the like would use the hotel like their backyard, showing off success and extravagant living by using the banquet hall and the bar, the Lido Room, to host string quartets, dancers, and performances all night. Fancy. Now, this is also um, near the Hollywood Boulevard. And considering that you used to live here 
my question to you is, yeah. I mean, t- tell me a little bit about the Hollywood Boulevard. Um, what's so like, like, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, tell me a little bit that might help everyone who hasn't been there or doesn't know much about it. Um, kind of set up why the Knickerbocker Hotel might be so incredibly um, poignant during this time? I mean, Hollywood Boulevard today, I don't know about it, you know, decades ago, but today it's kind of a tourist trap, honestly. Um, It's where you have a lot of the Walk of Fame. You've got a bunch of people dressed in costume asking to take take photos and then they want money. It's really congested because you've just got people from all over the world who flock there to to see what Hollywood Boulevard is all about. I will say, so you were asking like, why is it such a, why would it have been such a hotspot? I think probably because it's just right in the heart of Hollywood and you have theaters nearby and studios nearby. Uh, so you've got a kind of, it's kind of a centrally located building um, for that industry. Got it. That makes, I mean, that makes sense, especially on when it comes to locations and the proximity to things and things just being conveniently placed for, um, that industry and, and the people of that industry. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like that pretty much anywhere. I mean, you go to a ballpark and you're going to have certain things there and Speaking of, we will um, actually discuss a baseball player a little bit later. So Mm -hmm. put your caps on. All right. Anyway, one starlets like Maureen O'Sullivan took up permanent residency. More followed. On any given day, interviews, hostings, parties, even wedding breakfasts for minor film stars and a banquet for the Athletic Conference of American College Women happened at this hotel. Hmm. Okay. So many things were going on. It's, it's like what you would think of a like popular hotel, um, in Miami or New York or San Francisco or LA somewhere, you know, somewhere big, right? It was popping. It was popping. Lucille Ball attended Jackie Coogan's 21st birthday hosted by Betty Grable with a boisterously fun filled costume party to celebrate this child star. And as I look back at 21, I was basically still a kid too. I I couldn't believe that. And one of the notes that I read uh, about this they called him a child star. And then later I was like, oh, maybe like he started out as a child and they were just celebrating his 21st birthday. But I thought it was funny that they called him a child star <laughs> when he was turning 21 because they could have just been like this star. But anyway. Sure. One event I read about, as stated, was a, pe- a peculiar event and it was strictly for the dogs. Al Martin is responsible for this particular party in the Lido room. Lido room. I'm going to have to keep saying that because I have no idea how you actually say it. Um, I feel like let's go with Lido. Lido? I don't know what okay. it is either, but let's go with Lido. Because I think about cruise ships and like on the Lido deck. So oh. I'm going to go with Lido. Yeah, maybe it was decorated that way. Okay. I'm getting a visual. That's why. In honor of his dog, though, Al gave a party. And speaking of dogs, you know, like me, um, Al gave a party. Though his invite list included Joan Crawford and more notables, these were not the guests of honor. Instead, these invites were to bring their dogs, who were to be the guest of Mr. Martin's canine. Amazing. I was like, I love, this is genius. And this is like in the 1900s, I mean, early 1900s. I was like, this is great. Um, you know, and people throw their dog parties now. So I guess it's just sure. advanced, right? Whenever I do get a dog, I am absolutely 100% throwing at a party or multiple. As you should. And, you know, I will be there as both a guest 
of the dog and the dog and my reincarnated self. So there you go. Yes. Full circle. Okay. <laughs> um, the prominent chaperones had a dress code encouraged evening clothes for their dinner. And Al Martin had two ambulances available in case a pooch overate another pup's dog food rations. Oh, can you imagine like getting the invite for this? I love it. The hotel also hosted Danish and Indian delegation events and athletes. Often, flight attendants would sweep through calling the Knickerbocker home between flights. Okay. So as you can tell, it's getting its start, right? It's becoming popular. Mm -hmm. I was just in Miami at this boutique hotel. It was called Hotel Greystone. And it just felt so luxurious to be there. I love a good hotel. Oh, my gosh. And I, I have to say, like, what I love about them is how they make you feel so at home. Right. You kind of want to live there sometimes. The good ones do. The good ones. Like we went to that one in Napa and I w didn't think we'd ever want to leave. That was a nice hotel. So I think that's the thing is one, it can get a reputation for the people that um, visit it. Right. And the people who start partying there and whatnot. And two, it can also be a desirable place for people to go as like a vacation or a trip. And so both of these things were happening at the Knickerbocker Hotel during this time. Okay. Uh, visitors were coming from all over the world. And then also it was getting this reputation for being this site for celebrities. I mean, I would want to go there. Right? Due to its prime location and in the home of the stars, the building itself appeared in several cinema productions. The Reckless Way, a 1936 film, 7-Eleven Ocean Drive as a back backdrop, and an opening scene of the 1966 series Mission Impossible. It was also regularly visible on other series called the Hollywood Palace, where viewers could see its recognizable neon sign, as well as the television series Mannix, who filmed a scene there on an episode showcasing the sign over the front entrance. This would be one of the last times it would be represented as a hotel in any film or television sightings, while in the late 1960s, the hotel dwindled as the Hollywood Boulevard began to decline in both popularity and quality. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I've not seen any of those shows or movies, so I have never seen it as a backdrop. Um, but it does exist as one. Its former famous iconic stays with folks from the flourishing film community and worldwide aristocrats shifted and became a place where a lot of drugs were being used and sex work was happening. During this time, the neighborhood took its own retrogression and began to decline in its distinguishable hallmark. Okay. Thus, this once luxury zone became deteriorated and needed an overhaul of restoration. As rechristens would go, in the early 1970s, the hotel was renovated and repurposed into a housing project that caters to senior citizens. Okay. In 1972, its doors opened again only to those aged 65 and up. Though the Knickerbockers hotel days were up and stars no longer graced the entrance with their presence, as L.A. Ghost discloses that, ever since the first batch of residents moved in, strange sightings had been reported. Ooh. One of the friendlier ghosts to trot down the halls of the haunted Knickerbocker Hotel is none other than an English setter dog named Speck. Speck! Funny enough that the first story I was going to tell is all about the dog. And then I was like, oh, yeah, if I was reincarnated, it would be about a dog. That is not a coincidence. Like, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> See how it all comes full circle. <laughs> See, you always bring it back. I really do. I really do. Uh, Speck lived at the hotel with manager Jack Matthews during the prime of the hotel's acclaim and attraction. It was fairly common to see old Speck allowing children to pet him in the lobby and hearing his paws come down the hall. Aww. On interest, Speck had also been seen ringing the doorbell to his master's office. 
he would ride up and down elevators on his own. Like, can you just picture this, though? Oh, my God. That's the cutest thing. Isn't it? Like, I can just see this. And I'm just imagining this dog being in there. Anyway. Uh, just having the best time in, yes. the, in the elevator alone. <laughs> right. Uh, as impressive as it was for him to use his paw to press elevator buttons, he even was said to let hotel guests get on or off the elevator before him. Okay. What a good dog. He was just being so polite. Right? I mean, people don't even do that. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, my God. Way to go, Speck. So reports have been made over the years that Speck, or at least an old English setter dog, will ride the elevator with residents, along with waiting obediently outside Jack Matthews' former room. Aww. And some have even been have even spotted him striding down the hotel hall. And as L.A. Ghost reveals, Speck isn't the only long-term resident of the Knickerbocker to make a cameo. Ooh. There are claims of residents and guests to continue on their path of displaying that they've never really left the Knickerbocker. Tell me who. There it goes. In 1935, a magician's convention. Can you guess who this is? Please tell me you can. I know you can. I mean, I already know is the thing. Okay. Oh. But I, I'll say it. <laughs> I know a little bit about this hotel. Of course you do, because I know nothing. Would we I be discussing know. Harry Houdini? Uh, accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so this magician's convention was held at the hotel. At this convention, there were performances, and Bess Houdini, the widow of the legendary Harry Houdini, attended it. The Pacific Coast Association of Magicians put on free thrills, including a blindfolded driver in an automobile race and a magician escaping. Oh, I don't like that. Right? Do not blindfold yourself when you're driving a car, people. I mean, this was the thing. Back in the day, well, first of all, there were not even car seats for babies. Um, and we were all fine, True. right? Um, but back in the day, there was like Evil Knievel and they were doing things. And then there was like all these weird, funky kind of like magic shows that are pretty risky and like very questionable now um, <laughs> in terms of safety. And so like anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This happened. And then also a magician escaped from a straitjacket while hanging upside down from the balcony. Oof. So as you can tell, like this is obviously something that was really cool that was happening at this hotel. And bystanders and attendees were wildly impressed as well as. Bess Houdini, who later held her late husband's annual seance at the Knickerbocker. Okay, I just love that she had an annual seance for her husband. Yeah, for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yep. But this is how it started out. Before Houdini died on Halloween 1926. Oh, I don't think I, I ever realized he died on Halloween. Right? Um, that was something that I uh, also found out. So oh, that's together, cool. We learned something. Yeah. We're learning here, everyone. Everyone else listening is like, yeah, we all knew that already. And then they're questioning, like, how is she a teacher? <laughs> she doesn't know words. Or no, I butcher words. That's that's the problem. But it's okay. We understand what you're saying. Yeah. And you know what? It makes me more compassionate um, for kids who struggle. Yeah. Right? And that's why I work with students that just need some extra love. So there you go. It all works out in the end. Mm -hmm. According to Jody Smith of the website Rankers Graveyard Shift, they had made a pact that the surviving spouse would attempt to contact the departed partner in the afterlife through seances in an effort to prove or disprove the existence of another realm. Harry and Bess made this pact. Yes. Okay. They did. On the first anniversary of his death, Bess conducted a seance on the roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel. Oh, I love it. In Seeing Stars, which is a Hollywood uh, landmark website, it states that when Houdini failed to put in a ghostly appearance, she continued holding annual seances at the hotel for over a decade without success. The last annual seance took place on Halloween night in 1936. During this time, 
Bess Houdini and Edward Saint attempted to call out the spirit of her dead husband. And of course, there was a crowd of Houdini followers and fans outside just waiting for any sign of a hello from the magician himself. Yeah. Once they gave up this aspiration. He never showed up? Just wait. Okay. A tremendous, this is in quotes, right? A tremendously violent thunderstorm broke out, (gasps) drenching the seance participants and terrifying them with the horrific lightning and thunder. The storm apparently did not occur anywhere else in Hollywood. And some speculated that Houdini did, in fact, make contact that night. Wait, so this, it only stormed over the roof of the Knickerbocker? Yes. What? Okay, that's wild. So, right. So, you know, basically some are saying like, when I was doing the research, some were saying like, um, you know, there was no signs. Um, Bess always had unsuccessful seances and they, and she only invited, um, a small group. So there would be gatherings cause they would know that a Houdini was there. So they'd sure. be all like outside and whatnot, but she only like invited a select few people. Right. Um, okay. and so this particular night was the last seance because they she did it for 10 years and this thunderstorm happened. Now, my favorite site by KCET, which is a media group in Southern California who mm-hmm. published Off the Boulevard of Broken Dreams, the Knickerbocker Hotel's Haunted History, and it's by Hadley Mears, was a great resource for the rich history of the Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel. So I, I did use that a lot and I read it like okay. four times. Um, but I just, I loved their account or like what they wrote about this Houdini experience, I guess I would call it, or, um, example. I don't know. Um, what they say? Again, you know, we weren't alive during any of this. So Mears unveiled that the last seance, which was conducted on the roof of the Knickerbocker was actually a media sensation. A young LA times reporter named Gene Sherman recalled being sent to cover the story. A jury of highly reputable witnesses, including Superior Judge Charles Frick, was on hand. The seance itself was conducted by a gentleman named Edward Saint, a confidant of the magician's widow. It was a dismal, drizzly night. On a red plush carpet stood a table on which rested a spirit trumpet, a bell, a piece of chalk, two slates, a pencil, and a black pad of paper. Mr. Saint urged Mr. Houdini to juggle the table. Ring the bell spring through the trumpet or do something to manifest his presence. Mrs. Houdini said, please, Harry, I've been waiting so long. (laughs) Oh, come on, Harry. You got to pull through for Bess. Right? The solemn cadence of pomp and circumstance drifted through a loudspeaker. The automobile horns of the impatient living honked mournfully below. Nothing happened other than an air of eerie tenseness. Damn it. The meeting broke up and I made my way back to the office where I guiltily admitted I had failed to get the interview. Under the circumstances, I wasn't too much to blame. Well, as a believer of at least spirits and hopeful of some green auras reaching us to tell us there is an afterlife and in the end we will be okay. If not okay, it's not the end. That's my thought. Actually, it was John Lennon's and probably before John Lennon, it was somebody else's. But I suppose the true (laughs) outcome of this bizarre night is only real knowing really known by Bess and her magician husband. Seances aside, we have more spirits to haunt you coming right up. Okay. So before we go into some some more hauntings, what what is your thought on um, Houdini? Well, if the whole time, that whole 10 years, he was looking down and seeing Bess do these seances and was like, I'm going to hold off. I'm not going to show up until the last one. That's rude. <laughs> Is there proof that it was just over that hotel? 
Like, what did the weatherman say? I need I need to find the weatherman from that year. We'll look for the meteorologist. Okay. Like Mir said, after the unsuccessful Houdini seance, stories from the Knickerbocker seem to shift from screwball to a darker shade of film noir. Okay. But first, none other than Mr. Presley, the hunk hunk burning love singer himself, oh. stayed in room 1016 in 1956 while he was shooting Love Me Tinder. Elvis's former room is now said to be a place of paranormal activity. Ooh. Both in his life and death, he frequents the Knickerbocker. 1016 is a hotbed for said sightings. Ooh. Is there any info on, like, what happens in that room? No. There's mo- more about um, the iconic legend herself coming up. So our precious and magnificent misfit herself, Miss Marilyn Monroe, can generally be found in a phantom appearance in the women's bathroom. So... I'll talk a little bit more about Marilyn in a little bit. Okay. I'm kind of doing this more in a timeline. And so that I wanted to say, talk about Marilyn Monroe gracing us with her presence in the women's bathroom, um, kind of while I was um, highlighting Elvis, just to be kind of more uplifting because things, like I said, are going to get a little dark. So back in the early 80s, there was, I think it was in 1982 to be precise, there was um, a movie starring Jessica Lange named Frances, and it was based on the ill-fated actress Frances Farmer. Mm. Frances lived at the hotel. She was a stunning beauty with soft lips and cheekbones, and that is my account of her and my adjectives because um, I saw a picture of her, and I was like, wow, you know, she's really pretty. And you were like, wow, soft lips, cheekbones. (laughs) Yeah, that's basically exactly how it was. (laughs) (laughs) But it was at the Knickerbocker where her mental illness prevailed. Alcohol took precedence, and she was eventually arrested and dragged half-naked from her stay at the hotel. Oh. Thus began the turbulence of Hollywood legends and their ups and spiral downs, the ladder of stardom here at the Knickerbocker. Frances Farmer lived at the Knickerbocker. She refused to cooperate with cops when they knocked on her door uh, on January 14th, 1943. The police were there due to a warrant and unpaid DUI fines Mm. or it might have been a possible failure to report to a probation officer. There were two or three um, paragraphs about this and and different sources. So I wasn't quite sure which, which it was. Okay. Um, But the troubled Francis was in the middle of a drunken manic episode when this happened after clawing and scratching authority who finally carried her out of the hotel as she was wrapped up in a shower curtain she kicked, spit, and screamed while departing the Knickerbocker. Mm. One reporter stated, she did not surrender peacefully. Doesn't sound like it. She said, I drank all the liquor I could get my hands on, including Benzedrine. What do you expect me to do? I get liquor in my orange juice and my coffee. Must I starve to death to obey your laws? This is what Frances Farmer said to a judge after her arrest at the Knickerbocker. Okay. Because of these risky behaviors, right? Farmer lost her professional contract with Paramount Pictures which developed a further state of desperation as she spent several years in mental institutions receiving electric shock therapy, hydrotherapy, and ice baths, and also insulin shock treatments. So that was also on two different um, sources that I will put in the show notes. Um, I couldn't find much more about her. I did look her up on Wikipedia a little bit just to see if I could find anything else, and I didn't, but she might be one to do a little deep dive into as well. Yeah, I think she's on the list. So... We will go on to our next guest of the Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel, which is the haunt of David Wark or D.W. Griffith, who was an Mm -hmm. influential film director in the history of the motion picture. Birth of a Nation. Yes. And I I knew that you would know this one, right? And 
I won't talk a lot about that, but I'll mention it a little bit in just a minute of like, yeah, there, there was a lot more on this. And um, let's just say, I would say today's times would be very controversial. And um, oh, yeah. 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 Unfortunately for him, Griffith was found unconscious in the lobby on July 23rd, 1938. He died on the way to the hospital after suffering from a massive stroke. Before his death, he was a staple of the hotel, though not many would know. He stuck mainly to his room, soaking up his time with books and sometimes wandered in the lobby with his cane. But most guests would not have recognized him and were unaware of sharing their hotel space as such a Hollywood tycoon because he was generally described as a dapper looking old gentleman wearing dated clothes clothing. I, I really like that description on one of the websites. I was like, if I, if I could see that, although I recently got off of a cane, so I'm wondering what people thought of me. You rocked that cane. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, even on Hollywood Boulevard, DW would stroll and bar hop talking to anyone that would listen, much like I used to when I would be at the college bars. Um, <laughs> but he would, he would look lost and bewildered most of the times. Allegedly, he drank during most of the time at the hotel bar, and presumably that triggered his own death. Many in the industry would label D.W. Griffith as being part responsible for the birth of Hollywood, as well as his film, The Birth of a Nation, which made a whopping $11 million at the box office worldwide in 1915. So imagine what that could be now. I was... What is that now? I'm going to look it up. It was $11 million in, in 1915. 15. Yeah, I was flabbergasted. So eleven million in nineteen fifteen would now be three hundred and twenty-two million seven hundred and fourteen thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars and fifty cents. I love the accuracy. Um, Just wanted to get that right. Thank you. And that um, film is like we today it is seen as very racist and historically inaccurate. It came from mm -hmm. there was like a book that it was based on, The Klansman. The Klansman by Thomas Dixon. Yes. Yes. I should have put that in a parentheses. But um, yeah, it, many people obviously have seen it. I have not seen this and I don't think I need to. I We had to watch it in school one time. I remember watching this movie. Oh. Yeah. And what did you think of it? It's been a long time. I mean. Okay. Oh, this was like high school? Um, yeah. Um, that's fair. And yeah. Most often the hotel staff would state to guests that if that it was just old Mr. Griffith on any inquiries being made about who the mad, oh, I mean, man, well, maybe he was mad, <laughs> who the man was lurking around in the hotel lobby. But the man who spent quiet and alone time at the Knickerbocker ended his former reputation and accolades right at the hotel's elegant and sparkling chandelier where he had his stroke. Some say the cerebral hemorrhage occurred in his room, but most accounts stated that the chandelier was his last brush with light, both figuratively and literally. Hmm. As the Knickerbocker's glory days started to fade, Hollywood became less of a spot of the elite and a shift of celebrities made movement toward West Los Angeles. The Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel, however, became the standard privacy hotel to the, the washed-up careers of former stars and notable industry titans. This hotel became a sort of a hideout once its stardom faded. It became a place where the famous could draw little attention to themselves, which is exactly why Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio would meet for incognito and secret dates. Mm -hmm. Rumor has it that this is also where they held their honeymoon. These two would often sunbathe on the hotel roof and enjoy each other privately in the baseball star's suite. Oh, I wonder what was going on there. I think we know. <laughs> As mentioned previously, it has been claimed that Marilyn often appears in the women's restroom. Smith of Graveyard Shift Ranker reports that, according to some, Monroe's presence can still be felt within the Knickerbocker's walls. 
Witnesses have reported seeing Monroe in the hotel's ladies' hotel's ladies room looking at herself in the mirror. Alternatively, an employee claimed that she had seen a blonde woman's face reflecting in the mirror she was cleaning, only to turn around and see no one there. That would freak me the fuck out. Right? Like, I mean, imagine that happening to you. (laughs) I know. I was like, that would be like me seeing myself, but then realizing it's not myself. (laughs) Not that I'm comparing myself to Marilyn Monroe, but... That's even weirder. I... Um, I don't even so, know where my head's exploding right now. So, um, you know, she's cleaning it. And then as it turns out, this mirror that's in question was the same one that once hung in suite 1200, the one Monroe most often stayed in. The one that's in the bathroom? Yep. Oh. So as reported by Hollywood Landmarks, there were many other stars who re- frequented and lived at the Knickerbocker Hotel, including Ricky Nelson, Jerry Lee Lewis, Frank Sinatra, Barbara Stanwyck, Wick. Lana, Lana Turner, Mae West, Laurel and Hardy, Larry Fine of the Three Stooges, Graham Nash, Judy Garland, Mae West, Betty Davis, and C- Cecil B. DeMille. Okay. And also producer Art Linson. Um, he grew up at the Knickerbocker. He um, produced Fight Club and The Untouchables and The Fast Times at Mid- Ridgemont High. Okay. So he grew up there and named his Knickerbocker production company after the hotel. Oh, okay. I didn't I know that. that. was very Right? I thought that was very cool. Yeah. Now we're going to get into probably the most famous, um, I guess I would call it death. Okay. While the Knickerbocker was still uh, open as a hotel. Mm-hmm. On March 3rd, 1966, longtime Knickerbocker resident William Frawley, who played Fred oh, Mertz from yeah. I Love Lucy, was coming back to the hotel when he dropped dead of a heart attack on the sidewalk in front of the hotel. According to the I Love Lucy book, including a revised, expanded, and updated version of Lucy and Ricky and Freddie and Ethel, author Bart Andrews briefly states that after Frawley had collapsed on Hollywood Boulevard, a male nurse had dragged him to the hotel where he died in the lobby. However, this may be apocryphal. Was that the word? Apocryphal. Because there are no newspapers from 1966 that mention Frawley ever being taken to the Hollywood Knickerbocker, which was located half a block up the hill from where Frawley had collapsed. Was it? I I don't know that he was living there at the time. He had definitely lived there at at one point. Yes. Yeah. So I think that gets associated with it. But Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's why the accounts are not all, they don't all line up. Mm -hmm. According to the Los Angeles Times, Frawley died in the street. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, Frawley did not live in the hotel at the time. And although he had uh, spent nearly 30 years living in a suite upstairs, he had moved to the nearby El Royale apartments several months before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's trying to get the um, information for that. It was kind of, they were all kind of skewed and it's like, okay, did he die there? Did he not? Is he a ghost? Is he not? Um, Yeah. But I think honestly, like when you think about people who have resided somewhere or made a presence somewhere those go- you don't have to have died in the place that you're a ghost. So yeah, I mean, because he had definitely lived there for a long yes. time yeah. before his death. So I I can see why he's associated with it. Yeah, exactly. Lest we cannot forget, likely the most infamous haunting of the Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel, Irene Gibbons. This one is sad. I still I like I read several different sources on this and kind of like picked through the ones that felt like they were the most. I guess, accurate or just like not the most depressing, right? And and there was some really great findings, but then some of them just made me so sad and I felt yeah. so much compassion for her. Yeah. So I'm going to start off by reading an excerpt from um, a post. Now, this is from Scott Michaels, Find a Death Deliciously Sorted. 
and it's regarding Irene Gibbons. And it, he starts with this quote, anything new and beautiful makes one think beautiful thoughts. So I'm going to, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to kind of read some things. And um, he does a good job. I mean, he's got a, it's a short little uh, post. Um, this is the one that I certainly felt was just the most relevant. Okay. One of my duties here is to dispel myths, untruths about Hollywood deaths that are perpetuated because of their outlandish circumstances. Irene Gibbons was known by only her first name and was one of the most successful costume designers in motion picture history. She took over from Adriana MGM and went on to establish her own company, Irene Inc., which I thought is, I, I think that's such a cool name, just like Irene Inc. I like it. Both my grandmas um, had their, their name, uh, middle name was Irene, and I always thought maybe I would name a daughter Irene or like a dog Aww. or something to kind of give nod to that. But it's just such a like wholesome name. And then Irene Inc. Yeah. I like alliteration. I love so, it. Yeah. Now I've heard several stories about what drove her to suicide. Some say she was in love with Gary Cooper, who died in 1961. I don't buy this story. So again, this is... Um, Scott Michael saying that he he doesn't see that by the story, right? Okay. First off, and I might catch some shit for this, but I see her picture and I think, mm, maybe she's not into guys. He doesn't say that. He says a different term I'm going to use. She's not into guys. She okay. was also very close with Doris Day, which is what supports that theory for me. Officially, her husband was quite ill and she was upset over his condition. He had several strokes and was paralyzed. She lived with her husband in this sweet little house in Beverly Hills. And on the 15th of November at 1962 at 2 a.m., Irene checked into room 1129 of the Knickerbocker Hotel. She hit the Smirnoff and they found two pint bottles. One was empty and one in the bathroom with two shots left in it. That's a lot of Smirnoff. Mm -hmm. um, just, just to let the people know, right? <laughs> In case you're not aware, a bottle of Smirnoff is a lot of Smirnoff. <laughs> During those few hours, she penned a two-page suicide note mentioning her husband's illness and apologizing to hotel guests. This is where I just get a little choked up because I can't imagine writing and apologizing to hotel guests, right, um, for something that's looming on me, right? And that's, yeah. mm. For any inconvenience her death may cause. At 3.12 that afternoon, she pushed the screen of her window and jumped. A Mr. Lombardo was staying in room 429 and heard the crash on the roof and contacted the hotel manager. Ugh. Mr. Tazi, who discovered Irene on the third floor roof, nine feet in front of room 329, she was found immediately, not several days later, and her wrists were not cut. She did have a sore on her hip, which was bleeding, and they found a bloody bandage in the room. In her purse, which was also left in the room, there was $1.62 in cash, cosmetics, three credit cards, and a driver's license. She was 60 years old. She was cremated and located in Forest Lawn, Glendale. And on mm -hmm. um, the website he writes for, the, it has her certificate of death. And it's just so sad because I know that there's so much more to it than that, right? But, and not to do, I mean, it, if I went into more of it, then that this episode would just be about Irene Gibbons, right? Um, I mean, I do think, though, it's important to mention, like, she was a hot costume designer. Oh, yeah. I mean, she Very was designing successful. for the top Marlene Dietrich, Ingrid Bergman, Joan Crawford. Like, she was she was a, a go-to. And then her career started to wane. And 
Yeah, it just it's so sad. It and it is because though that was on many of the sources. It's it talks mostly about like her success and and how well um she was doing and how articulate she was as um a designer and a maker and you know who it reminds me of? I mean, I it didn't remind me until this very second is Kate Spade. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And all I want to do is honestly like reach back in time and and just like hold her hand and embrace her. And um, I know it's so it's just uh, and to uh, I just I yeah, I can't even like put my brain there. But so um, in my in my research on like specific ghosts or anything, um, there is not much that says like, oh, well, that's Irene. But L.A. Ghost uh, summed up. uh, They reported and summed up something that I think is probably the best way to articulate what it felt like after Irene Givens' passing. Okay. They say that ever since that day, residents have reported an eerie chill permeating the room. Yeah, I would say that would probably happen. They have this inexplicable urge to throw themselves from the window every time they walk by it. Ugh. Other residents have made startling reports of a middle-aged woman in odd clothing, her hair all in disarray, standing in one of the windowsills of that building. Sometimes the apparition simply disappears. Other times, the witnesses rush to the top floor to investigate, only to find no one there. But most upsetting of all, the figure of the woman is sometimes reported to leap from the window and crash onto the roof of the lobby below, where Irene Gibbons met her and nearly 60 years ago. Yikes. That one is one that just, you know, it really is... It's captivating in a way that's like you just want to feel more compassion for people. Basically now, you know, at this point, this is in the 60s and the Knickerbocker Hotel is kind of past its prime. Um, clearly, like there were more residents living there than than visitors and guests at the point at this point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's all these um, candid stories about ghost sightings and, you know, there's been deaths there. People have um, gone through and and recounted the, the past of of what's happened there. Can we just talk about the fact that they turned it into a senior living facility? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's a building that's got a lot of ghosts already. Do you want to turn it into? You know where I'm going with this. I definitely do. And um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of spirits up in there. That's all I'm going to say. That's what I. That's the that is one of the first things after I read that they had turned it into a senior citizen uh, facility, and you know basically you have to have you have to meet the criteria and the eligibility to be able to live there. And I was like, please tell me that the eligibility isn't like on on my way to the deathbed or anything like that. And I think I'm sure the residents are like very lovely and sweet, and um, because it is an independent living yeah uh, residence, but you know the people who are there are probably likely to encounter some spirits, right? Like we're not likely to encounter them because um, you can't go in there anymore. The, at best, you can walk by it and maybe see, still see the chandelier. That's the only original piece that remains of that place is the chandelier. And and rightfully so. I mean, again, it's worth over a million dollars these days. But um, and maybe that's something that's really cool for the residents is like that kind of piece of history. Um, but I would um, I would warn them to, you know, keep their eyes and ears open for any like paws walking down the hall. I mean, I, I want to see Speck. I want to see Speck. I, I know. Isn't 
oh, isn't that story the best um, out of all of these? But yeah, I think there is something to say that um, happens in that building and um, be wary, residents. I wish it was still a hotel because I would love to stay in one of the rooms. Yeah. I did look up because I was like curious. I, I was thinking, oh, you know, I wonder how much it is. So I think that they make um, like it's subsidized somehow because the last um, amount I can find is for about fourteen, fifteen hundred. But what I found in the area is most rents were like three thousand and more. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So I was happy about that, and I think it has about two hundred and fifty rooms. But I wanted to briefly talk about Earl the Pearl Watson. Yes. Let's talk about Earl the Pearl. So unfortunately, I couldn't get his his book. So I wasn't able to read it, but um, it is out there. It's on, there's, there's a few sites that it's on. Um, it's around $20. There's a lot, like Thrift Books has it, okay. um, but they only have one copy. But anyway, um, and it wasn't on Audible because I have Audible and I thought, oh, this will, I just got Audible actually. Um, but then I, couldn't download it because it wasn't available on there. Um, but what I thought was really cool is that he was born in Chicago, Illinois. Hey, so shout out to uh, Sweet Home Chicago for you. And he was he was drafted into the army army and was I, the reason I said Armady is because he was involved in the invasion of Normandy. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So I thought that that was really interesting. Um, and then upon his return is when he settled into Hollywood. Okay. So that's when he became the, the, the doorman at the Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel. Um, and everybody, like people around there, like obviously knew him. Oh, you know, he has some stories. I need to read this book. Oh, totally. And, and remember, um, when we met, um, so this was like, maybe your first year in LA or something. And I wanted to do the pretty woman like tour kind of. Yes. We, I know exactly okay. who you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. So we met this doorman and I was like, I was doing all of the quotes from pretty woman and I this was on, we it. went to Rodeo drive, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. And, and he, so, he had like the full costume and everything. Yeah. And I was so excited to like costume. I should say uniform. It was uniform. uniform. Yeah. It wasn't a costume. I, I understood what you meant. It was work. <laughs> um, but I was so excited to do that because I, I felt like that was getting me into Hollywood. I think it's because to me that that film was right in the timeline of like what, what I think it was 1990 and so I was like well I was probably watching it inappropriately but you know back in the day your parents just <laughs> let you watch things. Um it it really gave me this profound beginning to knowing a different um place, right? So okay. That's what is really interesting um, about this particular doorman. I imagine that he, like when, you, when you're when you a visitor and you see a doorman, I don't know. I don't know about anybody else. Maybe I just, you know, I grew up in a farm town and like we didn't have a lot of money. Where you so walked like, beans. Where I, yeah, I did. I walked beans. And so a doorman to me just created like this different class and kind of, sure. kind of what it created for me was like that, that dream life of like what's in books. Right. And so I think that that's what's cool about Earl the Pearl Watson is people probably came to this hotel and they saw him and they're like, wow, you have a lot of stories. I need to get this book. What is it called? Do you know? Earl the Pearl Watson, Doorman to the Stars. 
I do have to say that I read some of the reviews on Amazon and um, some of them were saying that, you know, he needed a ghostwriter and some were saying it was repetitious. The reviews aren't terrible. I don't think he ever got like one star or anything, but it's it only $11 right now on Amazon. I think I'm going to get it. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. They, right they dropped the price. I encourage you guys to get it. Cool. Okay. Um, one other thing that I thought was really cool that I want to um, kind of give a little shout out to is, um, like I said, I used a lot of websites and sources um, to get some information and direct quotes. Um, but there's this uh, website called tripvia.tours slash knickerbocker dash los dash angeles. And it is, um, you can actually do an, an audio tour. Oh, okay. So you can listen to it and then there's a picture of it, of course, and you can like zoom in on it because Google lets you and um, and then you can kind of basically like look around it and then the whole audio goes and it's like you're taking a tour and then after at the end, it's like, okay, next step and it goes to another place. So you don't have to go to that, obviously, and listen to whatever the next place is, but you can. But it's it was really cool and I thought that was neat because it kind of made me feel like I was there. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So I wanted to just we'll link that because that's yeah, cool. we'll definitely. Yeah, we can definitely link that. But yeah. Um, are you feeling spooked yet? Do you feel like, um, you know, I don't know if I feel spooked, but I do wish that number one, I could stay in a room there. And two, I could only be so lucky to encounter the spirit of Speck the dog on the elevator. Right. Oh my gosh. Rough, rough. He just sounds like a um, little cutie. Totally. And and who knows? I mean, things change all the time. So it's who's not to say that this won't turn back into a hotel. I mean, that's true. Who knows? The ghosts know. <laughs> they sure do, don't they? <laughs> um, you did a great job with that. You were so nervous. And that was great. No, I was really nervous. Um, yeah. And I would love to go through all of um our social media sites. But all I can tell you is that we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, which I don't even know how to use. And dun, 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 we have some exciting news. We are now on Apple Podcasts, which is one we've been waiting for for a very long time. Well, not, I mean, very long is exaggeration, but for like six days, six days. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you can find us on Spotify, on Google Play, and I'm missing one. You're missing a lot. It's pretty much everywhere you can get your podcast now because yeah. Apple was the one that was the holdout. So, right. um, and be, you weren't able to list those uh, social meds, but I can. It's at Horrorwood Podcast, except for Twitter, which is at Horrorwood Pod. Or you can send us an email. You can give us show suggestions or what you want to hear us talk about. Um, and the email address is horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so I actually did know these. Sorry. You did know these. I just wanted to hear your voice more. (laughs) And if you're feeling so inclined, which we hope you are, uh, give us a rating and a review. It really helps us out a lot. It shows Apple and all those other platforms that we're worth listening to and that you want to hear more. And so then they'll keep showing us more. Um, And that's uh, all I have. Yeah, I just, you know, stay spooked. Stay spooked. Uh, And 